so I had many different uh, professors throughout my college um, tenure, and I don't remember the names of a lot of them, but I do remember two. Um, I had two that are very memorable for me for different purposes, different reasons. Uh, professor Abbott was my economics professor, and then Professor Benton was uh, all things business related, so business communications, business marketing, management. Like he taught multiple classes, so you couldn't get away from the guy. <laughs> Abbott was by far my favorite professor. Hands down, you couldn't tell me anybody else that could match Professor Abbott. Here's why. Uh, the first day of class, he pulled me to the side, and he goes, uh, you're on the basketball team, right? I said, yeah. And he goes, so you, you don't really need to come to class. I need you to come to class three days. Today, midterm, finals. Three days. How many days do you think I went to class? Come on, guys. You didn't even know me back then. But you're right, three. <laughs> I went for three days you told me to come. And um, I got an A in the class because that was his goal. He wanted all the athletes to like him. He wanted all the athletes to take his class. Uh, so I don't tell an 18, 19-year-old that I did it. Professor Benton, on the other hand, um, I knew from day one, I, I just I regretted signing up for his class because this dude was hard. Um, he was very strict. He it was no nonsense. If you were on time to his class, uh, you were late. Right. And you, he was a tough grader. And if you came in late to his class, then he would stop the whole class. He would put you at the front of the, the, the lecture hall. And then he would say, you got five minutes to present on. And he'd throw out a random business topic. And you couldn't leave. You would just sit there until you just felt embarrassed for, you know, you could only think of so much stuff to say. But you'd be embarrassed. And guess what? You were never late again because you didn't want that feeling ever again. But this dude was hard. Like, I, was, I would dread going to his classes. However, all of that changed that following semester. Because that following semester, I had to go into Economics 2. Uh, and I get into Economics 2, and it's a totally different professor. And this professor had expectations. He didn't really care about if I liked him or not. He did his job, and he held me uh, responsible, just like every other uh, person in the class. And the problem with that was I wasn't prepared because I didn't do anything in Economics 101. And so when I got to 102, I struggled. And I almost failed that class because I, I knew nothing about the, the basics of 101. I missed all of that. And so I had this strong dislike for Professor Abbott once I got beyond his class because he was so worried about me liking him that he didn't set me up for success. Meanwhile, I told you I couldn't get away from Professor Benton. So the next class that I took in business, it was him again. But for some reason, I, I really was connected with him because I knew right off the bat, off the back, I had gotten extreme, I got much better as far as my business acumen, uh, my, my understanding of business and all of those things. And he would put me on the spot and I could think on my feet a lot, a lot faster because of all of the, the work that he put me through the first time around. And it was funny because I'd see some of the new students and they would struggle and I'm like, <laughs> I know what you're going through. I was there. But I got significantly better. And ironically enough, like, he continued to be my mentor all throughout college and even beyond college. He helped me get my first job. He helped me. All of that stuff, we had a tight relationship because he wasn't so worried about me liking him. He was worried about me getting better. And he pushed me to get better. And he became the, the professor that I remember out of all of them for the right reasons. Man, as we think about discipleship, we all have a desire to be liked. 
All right, we all want to be like, nobody's coming here as, as you know, macho as you want to sound saying, I don't care who likes me. We all want to be like, nobody wants to be that one person where it's like, I, I don't like that dude. Like, nobody likes that dude. If you are, you're the one oddball. But, you know, we all want to be liked, right? Even getting up here and preaching. I, I would like to preach God's word truthfully and faithfully. No, that's the, the priority. But at the end of the day, I'd like, you know, a few guys to like me, right? Not everybody to dread coming in here. But at the same time, care more about preaching God's word. Even when we think about discipleship, we all want to be liked, but we have to be very careful that that light being liked never surpasses what our goal is, never surpasses our, our commitment to preach truth to people and be honest with people. Because if it does, that turns into an idol. We've now put ourselves in making people like us before the goal in making people more like Christ. And guess what? Is it, when that happens, when you then slide you being liked above you proclaiming Christ and you being honest and you giving people uh, the feedback that they need and you caring about somebody's soul more than their happiness, then things start to change. The relationship, even the conversations start to change. They go from being serious and straight to the point to, man, I really don't want to rub that guy the wrong way today. Like, I know he's He's fallen short, but I kind of like him as a friend, right? We go from caring more about Jesus to saying, like, Jesus, I got this relationship. Now I'm going to be the one to, to make it better my way, and I'm going to start talking about more earthly things, start talking about things like the weather and politics and sports that, that change, and it really doesn't matter because we don't want to get below the surface and possibly ruin that relationship because we think that we're in control of it. We're worried about the person liking us more than loving Jesus. Here's the thing, man. The goal for all discipleship is not for guys to like you. It's not for guys to like you. The goal in all discipleship is for guys to love Jesus through you and because of you. That's the goal. It's not for guys to like you. It's to, to love Jesus more because of you. Because of the work that Jesus is doing through you, they love him more. Nothing to do with you. And we need to keep that top of mind. You know, the one person that we can read through in Scripture, there's many of them, but that we constantly read through. We talked about him last week. We'll talk about him again this week. It's Paul. Paul cared more about people loving Jesus, more so than he cared about people liking him, more so than he even cared about his life. And so if we can develop the same mindset that Paul has as far as I want people to love Jesus and not like me and not uh, 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 just try to make it easy, I care about people's souls more than that then we'll do discipleship well, and it'll always be focused on Jesus. It'll never be focused on how do I get more people to like me? How do I, how do I make my circle, my circle bigger uh, because people just want to be around me? It'll be all about Jesus, but we need to develop the same mindset that Paul has, and Paul gives us the exact mindset that he had, that I believe he had the same mindset through all pages of Scripture, and this is why he is who he is, right? And this is why we, we read it. So if we can get a good grasp on that, then you and I will be more effective at discipleship. So let's go ahead and turn to Colossians 1, chapter, or ch chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. Colossians 1, 28 and 29, because we see exactly what motivates Paul here, right in these two verses. And if you know about the book of Colossians, you understand that there was a problem in Colossae, right? Epaphras was the one that, that founded the church, which he got saved through Paul's ministry in Ephesus. But this church has now gone 
wayward again, kind of like we were talking about the Corinthians last week, but they're going after focusing on rituals and focusing on the dietary laws and Gnosticisms in there. So they have all of these false teachings that are happening in the church. And so you have Epaphras that goes to Rome to talk to Paul about what's happening in this church in Colossae that Paul has never visited. And so Paul writes them this letter to get them back, just like he did with, first, with the Corinthians, get them back focused on Jesus and understanding Jesus is the centerpiece. Jesus is the only thing that matters. It doesn't matter what you eat. It doesn't matter circumcision. It doesn't matter any of these other things, these doctrines that are being taught. Jesus is the only thing that matters, and he's trying to get their focus back on that. And so he starts off by chapter 1 talking about the preeminence of Christ. And then he goes into our chapter towards the end of chapter one, and he's getting into why he's doing this, why he's writing this letter, why he's an apostle, why he's so, so zealous about preaching the word of Christ and the ways of Christ. Why? And he tells us this in verse 28. Let's start there. He says this, him we proclaim. I'll do a lot of stopping in here because there's just a lot in these two verses. Him we proclaim. Jesus. Let's just put that in there. Jesus we proclaim, right? Jesus, it starts there. That's who we're talking about. That's the centerpiece. That's who we're focused on. Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone. How do we do that? Warning everyone. Nutateo, we've had that conference here before. Bad name for a conference, but I won't talk about that person. <laughs> Nutateo, right? Warning everyone teaching everyone. So we're warning people of the consequences that are coming. We're teaching people, instructing people how to be like Jesus, how to love Jesus, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, toil, right? We're working, laboring. I toil. How do you toil? Struggling, right? He's struggling. Agonismai is the Greek word there, struggling. That, that word is transliterated to English is agony. You know that word, right? Think about an athlete, right? They're a baseball player that's running it out through first base, right? You get an action shot. There's agony on their face. They're, they're, they're giving it all they got to try to get to first base, right? Basketball, they're diving on the floor. You see an action shot. They're giving it all they got to get to the ball. All of this agony on their face. Paul is saying he's doing that. Why is he doing that? It goes back to what we just talked about, to present people mature, mature in Christ. But for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Look at that passage. What is the, the centerpiece of that passage? What is the focus of that passage? It's at the end of verse 28. The purpose is to present everyone mature in Christ. That's Paul's goal. He wants to present everyone mature in Christ. How does he do that? Well, how does he do that? You have to look back. In order to do that, it starts with the beginning. Jesus, we proclaim. In order to present everyone mature in Christ, we got to present Jesus. We got to warn people. We got to teach people. That's how we present everybody mature in Christ. And what motivates Paul? What motivates Paul is looking past verse 28, right? This is the reason he works hard, because it's all his energy. God's energy is all his energy. And that God is powerfully working through Paul. That's why he does it. He's powerfully working through Paul. So Paul understands all of that must happen in order for people to be presented mature in Christ. It's all about Jesus. And it's all about presenting people mature in Christ. That's the goal. That's the purpose. That's the purpose for you and I when we think about discipleship. To present people mature in Christ. Not to get people to like you. Not to fill their head with knowledge. We want to present them mature in Christ. Sanctification. 
Many of you have been involved in sales one way or another, and one of the main things that they teach you in sales, sales 101, is you got to be able to build rapport. you got to build rapport. Because if you don't build rapport, then it's going to be awkward, and it's going to really make it hard for you to, to, to convince and compel that person to buy something for you if there's not some type of connection in there. Right? Because you remember that old saying, people buy from people that they like or trust, right? People buy from people that they like. And so in order for you to really have that, that, that relationship, you've got to build some type of connection. There has to be some type of rapport. And so typically in sales, if you're talking to somebody that you don't know, the first thing you want to do is, I've got to figure out where's the connection there. And so you ease into conversations. You might say something like, you like sports? And then they say, oh, no. Okay, we're not going there. Um, Right? we got to find something else. So I ease into this. I ease into this. I ease into this topic, trying to find a connection, trying to build some type of rapport here. Right? And that, the second that you find something that they like, hey, where are you from? Oh, I'm from Texas. Oh, you're from Texas? What part of Texas? Right? There's that conviction that comes in. Right? There's that confidence that you have now because we got something. We got something. And so the tone changes, the excitement changes, the passion changes because there's that commonality that we have and that connection that we have. We've built some type of rapport, but you have to find it. But it starts off with us easing into conversation. Here's the thing about Jesus Christ. He applies to everyone, right? Look at our passage. It says it three times. Warning everyone, teaching everyone, that we may present everyone. He applies to everyone. Christians, non-Christian, he applies to everyone. Whether you know it or not, he matters. He matters. He matters to everyone. So he is the ultimate common interest, He's the ultimate common interest for everyone. But as we're talking about discipleship and we're talking about Christians discipling other Christians, he's, he's the end goal. And that should be understood by both parties. And so if he's the end goal, then we should, we should be able to proclaim, right? We should be able to say with conviction that whatever it means to, to get closer to Jesus, to be presented more, more like Christ, then we should have conviction in doing that. We should have confidence in talking about that. We should have confidence in being able to tell a brother, hey, I, I think you're a little off path here. I need to warn you to get back on path, right? We should have the boldness to be able to talk about Jesus Christ and not have to resort to, uh, it seems like they're going through a bad day. I'll talk about something that's more nice. No, because we have a confidence and assurance that Jesus is the only thing that matters. Your feelings don't matter, how your day is going. The only thing that matters is Jesus Christ, and we should have confidence in that. And we should be reminded without having any timidity. We don't have to ease into it because Jesus is what matters at discipleship. He's the centerpiece and he's what we need to focus on. And that's point number one for us this morning is you and I need to have confidence in discipling others. We need to have confidence in discipling others. The reason is this is what Jesus modeled for us. He discipled people. right? He discipled everyone. Here's the, the plan that Jesus gave us for building his church is discipleship. Discipleship. And at the end of the day, like I just said, he is the only thing that matters, right? Jobs don't matter. Money doesn't matter. Your status doesn't matter. Who you're married to doesn't matter. Your zip code. None of that stuff matters at the end of the day. When we're all taking, about to take our last breath, the only thing that matters is do we have Jesus or not? And did we spend our life trying, aiming to be more like Christ, maturing in Christ? When we know that, we understand this is Jesus' plan. This is what Jesus did, and he's commanding us to do it, then we can have confidence that we're right on track. This is exactly what we should be doing because his plan is the one that's going to be victorious. And so if we're part of that plan, you and I will be victorious as well. But the goal is to present believers mature in Christ. That's the end goal. Uh, Turn to Ephesians 4 with me. 
as Paul talks more about that goal and expands on that in Ephesians 4, verse 11. Ephesians 4, verse 11, because Paul wanted to remind his audience, the people that he was writing to, what the goal was as well. Because it's so easy to be in our head and to think like, you know what, I, I, I read the Bible a little bit, but I got, I got my own aspirations in life. Here's a few things that I want to do. But Paul always centered the goal back on Jesus. And he's saying the goal is maturity. The goal is our sanctification. Right? That's the goal, to, to, to be saved and then to be more like Christ for the rest of our life. Live our life as Christ is the boss of our life. He's the Lord. But he says this in Ephesians 4 as he's writing to the church in Ephesus, explaining to them what the goal is. Here it is, starting in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds or pastors, and teachers. Who are the teachers? All of us, right? All of us. We're the teachers. So he gave teachers to do what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, to equip the saints for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. What, manhood in my own, my own measure? No, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's the goal. Again, Paul is telling that to Ephesus. That's, that's the goal. It's not more of you. It's not more of what the world tells us. It's more of Christ. And how do we get that? Through discipleship. Through discipleship. Right? We need to have confidence in discipling others. Right? We're talking about discipling others now. Last week we talked about being discipled, but now we're talking about discipling others, which we all should be doing, no matter where you are in your Christian walk. A new Christian, you've been a Christian for a couple years, a couple decades, you should all be learning and teaching, learning and teaching all throughout the rest of your life because that is the way that Jesus has designed to build his church and that he has modeled for us, and we should have confidence in that. If you were here this past weekend, you remember Pastor Mike held up that graphic, right, the graphic of the, the little, little cartoon guy scaling the wall, and, right, he's climbing, he's growing, he's getting higher and higher and higher up that wall, we, we figure, but then he has this other hand down here, and he's helping someone. And so even when you're growing, it's not about you just growing in head knowledge and getting smarter and getting able to defend your faith and getting more confident. It's about you then taking that and bringing somebody else up with you. That, that, that's the Christian life. It's not just about you. It's about you taking what God has given you. God has gifted you by learning more about him. He's illuminated your mind to know more about him, but not just for you, but for you to grab, a, grab someone else and say, you're coming with me. Right? I just learned this. I got to teach it to you now. Because if I teach it to you, it's going to help it stick more for me. So I got to bring you up with me. That's the goal. Maturity. For everyone, as our pastor says, three times in the first verse, everyone mature in Christ. And that's just a great thing when we think about what's the goal. The goal, it's there. Proclaim Jesus and make sure everyone is mature in Christ. That's our goal. One of the ways that we, when we think about presenting people mature in Christ, um, a lot of it comes through our communication, Right? through those one-on-one conversations that you have, through those questions that you're going to ask the other brothers that you are in discipleship with. And far too often, again, we go back to this, uh, this, 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 this tug and pull of, I, I want them to like me, so I don't, I, I don't know if I want to ask that question today. It's not a good day to ask that question because I know it could go south and, you know, they may not like me today. Guys, we, we can't care so much about people's happiness. We need to care about men's souls. You care more about men's soul, the happiness will take care of itself. It's like I was for Professor Benton. He cared more about my, my, my long-term goal, and guess what? He became the best mentor I ever had. 
He helped me get jobs and jobs. He was the one. I, I couldn't get enough of him because he was invested in me. He didn't care about, like, I just want to make you happy. That happiness just goes away eventually. But when we care about people's soul, that's eternal. All right, that's eternal when we think about Jesus, right? So we need to understand that when we, even when we ask our questions, the questions that we ask in discipleship, the way that we're communicating, we need to get somewhere with that. We need to get beyond the surface. Stop playing on this surface level where at the end of the day it might make you feel good, might make the person feel good, might make you feel like you checked the box with discipleship, but when you think about being mature in Christ, we haven't moved anywhere. It starts with our communication. If you're discipling someone and you're discipling someone with, about their marriage, right, we need to go back to Scripture and look at what Scripture says. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church, or Colossians 3.19, and do not be harsh with her. You need to be able to ask that brother that you are discipling, how are you loving your wife? Have you been harsh with your wife? Right? Have you been harsh with your wife? Tell me about the relationship this week. How has it been? Right? That's going to get you somewhere. That's going to allow the question or the answer to be, you know what, if you put it that way, um, I was harsh with my wife. Matter of fact, I was harsh with my wife on Tuesday. Right? We got into this, right, we're getting somewhere. We're starting to talk about things. And then now we can go back to Scripture. We can talk about repentance, and we can talk about some application on how we continue to be more mature in Christ. Because guess what? If we don't ask about those things, we just say, how's your marriage going? Oh, it's going good. All right, good, man. Great. Discipleship. It's not discipleship. It's not discipleship, right? We need to be able to get below the surface and say, how are you loving your wife? Right? We're discipling somebody on parenting. Look at a passage in Colossians 3.21. Fathers, right? He gets right to it. <laughs> he doesn't say mothers. Fathers. Do not provoke your children, right, to anger. How are you parenting your child? How are you encouraging them? How are you not provoking them to anger? Have you provoked your child to anger here in the last couple weeks? Because I care about your soul. I want to talk about that so we don't continue to do that. We got to get there because if there's a problem there, then we want to be able to repent of that and put some application in place based on God's word to make sure that you mature in Christ. We're not continuing to do that. Prayer life. You're discipling somebody on prayer life. In what ways are you seeking to improve your prayer life? Right? I think asking that question is better. And then, how's your prayer life? Oh, it's good. Oh, great. Discipleship. That, that's not it. All right, we can always improve in our prayer life. How are you working right now to improve your prayer life? There, there's a good question for you. Right? That gets you below the surface. That lets the person know that, I, look, I'm, 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 I'm thinking about it. I'm trying to improve my prayer life because guess what? The second that I can put it on auto control or autopilot and I think that it's good, then all of a sudden I go days without praying. Because I'm not constantly thinking about it. Being a witness, right? Many of your prayer requests is like, I, I pray that I have more open doors at work. Right? Asking that brother, how are you bringing salt and light in your workplace? How, how did you do that last week? Did you try to engage into some conversation? Did you ask people about their faith? Whatever it is. And I know there's a lot of red tape. Did, did you take somebody out to lunch so that you could try to open up a door? Right? Because God's providing the open doors. It's just a matter of are we sensitive to, to see them? Are we actually pursuing that open door? Because he's doing it. We can't just say, ah, God didn't give me an open door this week. No, there, there's, there's some pursuit that you need to have too. You need to pray that prayer, but then you also need to pursue it. But you need to be able to have a guy that's asking you, how are you being salt and light in your workplace? How'd you do that this week? How'd you fall short? How can we pray for you? How can we get to God's word, put some application towards it based on God's word? And then how can we make sure that next week you're more mature in Christ because you're seeking after and we're asking questions. But here's the thing. All of that is wrapped up in one word, in love. 
Not this old hocus pocus, feely love and all this stuff, but the love that we want to present people mature in Christ. That's the goal. I'm not asking these questions because I just want to be, you know, this, this, this tough coach or tough discipler or have this reputation of really. No, I want to do it to present you mature in Christ. That's the goal. And I'm going to have confidence in doing that because that's the goal that Jesus gave me. And that's what Jesus modeled in his earthly ministry. And that's how he designed to build his church, all in love, but asking questions that get us somewhere. One thing I love about Paul, even if you look at our passage in Colossians, he had never been there. He'd never been to this church, so he didn't know anybody there. And he gets straight to it. He doesn't hold back. He doesn't think, he's not thinking about, man, I wonder what the Colossians are going to score me on Yelp if I, you know, write this. He doesn't care. He doesn't care because he comes right out from the gates on verse 28. Who does he say? Who does he proclaim? Jesus. You think what you want to think about me, I'm proclaiming Jesus because he's the only thing that matters at the end of the day. So him I proclaim. And guess what? There's going to be some tough love in that, and there's going to be a lot of encouragement in that, but it all gets back to your maturity in Christ. And he has confidence. doesn't matter who he's talking to. doesn't matter who he's writing to. And you see that all throughout his ministry. Right? We see the relationship between him and Timothy all the time. It's focused on Jesus. We talked about that last time. He, the reason he could send Timothy to people because he trusted and knew Jesus was going to be all, or Timothy was going to be all about Im- imitating Paul, who was imitating Christ, and he was going to do that. All he cared about was Jesus. But Paul discipled him that way. He talked about, we talked about the Corinthian church last week, right? That's where we were. Paul was warning them to get back on track, right? Don't, don't, don't fall in love with the world. Don't fall in love with money. Don't fall in love with all of these things that are tempting to, to get you to focus on earthly things. Focus on Jesus. And he told them that boldly. Boldly, right? Because it was, it was all about Jesus. And he has confidence in that. Think about a passage like Galatians 2, right? Peter. The one that, you know, even Paul, he jokes about in Galatians 2. He was like, I even got approval from the, the, the most influential one, the one that you feel is influential, right? Peter, the, the, the super apostle, whatever you want to call him. He was like, this is the person that, that, that I'm interacting with. But guess what? Right after he talks about what he got approval to do, he talks about how he rebuked Peter. He had to rebuke Peter. Because Peter was playing games, right? He was trying to pay, play this double life where it, when, when the Jews are not around, the Gentiles, you know what, I'll have lunch with you, I'll, I'll talk to you, and I'll get down to your level. But guess what? When the Jews came, he kind of, he backpedaled a little bit like, I, I, I got to go hang out with them. I can't be seen with them. And what Paul saw that, and he came up to him, and this is exactly what he said to him. He said, his conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. His conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. That's why he called him out. It wasn't because, oh, I'm mad at you because you did this. Not about my feeling. It's not in step with what we're preaching. And so how do you expect them to obey? How do you expect them to love Jesus when you're sitting here being hypocritical right now? And that's the reason he did it. It came back to the conduct being in step with the truth of the gospel. That's what it's about for Paul. That's why he had confidence. That's why you and I need to have confidence because it's not about us. It's not about what we're trying to grow. We're not trying to get likes on, on, on social media. We're not trying to get any of that. We're just trying to get people to love Jesus more because of us. That's the goal. Paul spoke boldly because of that. All right? This assignment has been given to us by Jesus, and we need to be confident in our discipling others and not thinking about so many ways that we should avoid it or how can we do it our way to make it a little bit easier. Just do it Jesus' way. It works. It's worked for, for, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And it's the same as it was back as we're reading now because he's the one that designed it. God designed this to build his church this way. 
And you and I need to get on board with that and not try to figure out discipleship our own way. Discipleship is simple. It's hard to execute, but it's simple. We pick up God's word, we read God's word, we obey his commands, and then we teach people how to do that. We pray for them, we read books with them, we, we, we study the scriptures, we meditate on them, we memorize. All of that stuff is all centered here. You don't even have to come up, you don't even have to be that creative with things. Like open up God's word and just stay there. And then guess what? The spirit will continue to lead you and guide you and give you wisdom on application and all those other things to be able to make people more like Christ. But he's the one doing the work. Paul knew that, and that's why he was so confident. That's why you and I need to be confident in our discipleship, because it's Jesus that is all that's ma- that matters, and he's the one that's doing the work. Let me give you uh, four points, as I did last week. Last week, our points were more focused on being discipled and looking for those to imitate and making sure that we pick the right people to imitate. This week, I want to look at it from discipling standpoint. And some of these come exactly, half of them come from our passage, but uh, the first one that I have, letter A, comes from last week. We talked about finding someone to imitate. Well, if you're going to be an effective disciple, you need to be a good model of Christ-likeness. You need to be a good model of somebody that lives above reproach, right? And so letter A is modeling. We need to model what we are teaching and what we are warning people about, right? It's not your own reputation. It's not how to be more like you. It's to be more like Christ. And guess what? The quickest way to lose credibility, the quickest way to lose really that engagement in discipleship is when you tell somebody to do something and then they look at your life and it doesn't match up. You tell someone they need to love your wife, their wife better and not be harsh with her, but yet you're always arguing with your wife. You tell someone they need to love their kids, but you're always complaining about your kids. Right? It, it starts with you modeling this. You want people to be serious about discipleship. You have to be serious about discipleship. You need to be in the Word. You need to be showing up on time. You need to be caring about it. Because once you do it, then a lot of times more is caught than what's taught. Right? We, we know that. More is caught than what's taught. Right? People watch you. Your disciple the person that you're discipling, they're going to watch your life. And yeah, you're going to teach them, but they're also going to watch your life, and you need to make sure that you are a great model of the things that you are discipling. Not for your own reputation, but for Christ's reputation. So it starts off letter A, modeling. Letter B, observing. Observing. Here's one that's, that's, that's unique and not directly uh, in Scripture here, but again, these are just pastoral uh, guides and in, 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 and things I want to give you to make you more effective as a disciple. And the observing part is being able to watch, right? When you start discipleship, it's not about like, all right, this is what we need to do. You need to do this, 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 this. Sometimes it's just listening and watching and observing, right? When we think about, you know, somebody wants to be salt and light in their workplace, right? Before you get in and say, hey, you need to go set up a meeting and have Bible study and all that stuff in your work, just watch and listen. Hear what's going on first. Before you start to teach and, and, and try to give so many, you know, counseling uh, advice and all of those things, just, just observe. Because you could be teaching them the wrong thing. Not, not unbiblical, but, you know, heading them down the wrong direction. When you haven't heard and, and really acknowledged and listened to what they're going through, observe what's happening, why they're struggling with that, and then how we can go to God's word and, and, and help them with that. Observe, watch, listen. It's not a cookie-cutter approach. It, at the end of the day, the goal is the same. Right? We all want to be presented more mature in Christ, but this brother over here, that job is different than their job, or this family is different than their family, or, or this person's single, this person's married, it might be slightly different. 
on the approach that you take, the application that's there. So we need to observe and be effective at that. The last two come from our passage, and I'll just give you both of them. Letter C is teaching. Letter D is correcting. Teaching and correcting. Modeling, observing, teaching, correcting. Right? Teaching, we're teaching Christ. Right? Again, we're not teaching ourselves. Uh, as I talked about last week, we need to be connected to the power source. The power source is God's word. The power source is Jesus Christ. Right? When we're connected there, and that, that's, the, that's the motivation, that's the goal, that's what our, 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 the centerpiece of all of our conversation, that's the power source. That's where the growth happens. And so when we teach people, we need to make sure that we're teaching people about Christ. It's always connected back to Christ because when we do that, then the Spirit will work. We got two believers there. The Spirit will work far beyond your words. You'll talk about it in that one-on-one setting, but when they go beyond you the next day, the next week, and all, the Spirit is still at work. And guess what? The Spirit's probably at work better than how you said it that you thought was so eloquent. God's got it taken care of, right? God's going to continue to work because you're connected to the power source. You're pointing them to Jesus, and we're talking about that. Correcting. Correcting. Again, is warning someone. Nutateo. Warning someone, right? Getting them back on path, making sure that if somebody is headed down the wrong direction, that we warn them of where they're headed, and we get them back on path to following Jesus, that's what we want to make sure to do. And we want to do that, and I, I said this with the Ephesians passage, in love. In love. It's not about going in and saying, ah, I'm, I'm going to be the tough coach. I, you know, I want that reputation to be the, the tough discipler, that, all this stuff. No, we're doing it all in love. That's the motivation. It's all because we care about people's souls, not about people liking us. And when we do that, God will take care of the rest. And I must say this with correcting. When correction happens... There should be encouragement, right? It, it, this race is hard enough in this world, right? We got, a lot, we got a lot of obstacles in this world. And so if somebody, if your brother gets off path and you're discipling them and you've corrected them and they're making the correction, fan the flame, encourage them. Paul did it, right? We were looking at Paul. He did it. Jesus did it, right? We want to encourage people. They're not going to be perfect, but when they do get on track, praise God for that. Hey, good job. Continue to press on. Excel still more. We want to encourage them. Because at the end of the day, the goal is to be presented more like Christ. That's our goal, and that's what we need to have, just like Paul had, just like Timothy had, just like Jesus had. We want people to be more like Christ. Back in our passage, verse 29. Here's again why, the way he's doing it, right? For this I toil. For this I toil. To make people more like Christ. I, I, I toil. I work. I labor to make people more like Christ. Struggling. Right? With agony. Remember agonism. Agony with all my energy. You see that word in your translation? No, right? With all his energy. Right? That I powerfully work within myself. No, you don't see that, right? That he powerfully works within me. Right? This is this is God's doing. God's given us the energy to, 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 to produce to go do the work that he's calling us to do, and he's producing the result. You and I are just vessels, man. We're instruments. But going back to that toil and struggle, picture this. Uh, there's a term in track and field, photo finish. Photo finish. You ever heard of that? Right? They get so close to the finish line that from the naked eye, you, you can't tell who crossed first. Right? It's, it's a tenth of a second. And so sometimes they have to go to the, 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 the photo finish to see a still picture of who actually had their chest cross the line first. 
And oftentimes in those pictures, you just see the face and it's like, oh, you're fighting hard for that, weren't you? Right, because they're giving it all that they got to get their chest across that line first. Because all that, all that matters is a tenth of a second from you being in, in, in first place, the second or third, whatever it is, but a photo finish. But my point in all that is the, the, the agony of a photo finish. The faces that are there, of them giving all-out effort to get to that finish line before the other person. Agony. Paul's taking that same agony, and he's saying, I'm applying that to making people more like Christ. Like, he, he, he's struggling. He's doing everything he can in his power. He's being expended to make people more like Christ. That's all he cares about. He's putting his life on the line, toil and struggling. And then I told you that, his energy, right? We need to read that and really soak that in. Wait, I, I'm trying as hard as I can. I, I, I'm giving all the effort. You got more because it's not your energy. Jesus is going to give you the energy. The Spirit's going to give you the energy to keep doing the work that he's called us to do. We are mere vessels and instruments being used by God for his goal and his purpose. And so if we understand that, then we know we always got more gas in the tank. And we, we can't play this game of conserving and feeling like, ah, I can't give anymore because I'm not going to have more for the rest of the week. Look, let God take care of that. Expend yourself, right? Struggling, agony, have that about yourself. God will take care of the rest. He'll give you the energy because he has a plan that he's looking to accomplish through us. And he's going to give us the energy. And Paul knew that. And that is why every ounce of energy he gave, he knew that it wasn't going to be useless. And you and I need to know that God is powerfully working in every situation. Every ounce of effort that you give towards Christ, God is going to work through that. Nothing will come back void. Nothing will be useless. We need to understand that. We need to trust that. And that's point number two for us this morning. You and I need to know, we need to know that every one of our efforts, that your efforts are never useless. Never useless. There's nothing else in this world that you can pretty much say that everything that I put towards it, it will, I'll get something in return, right? There's always, I mean, I'm sure there's something out there, but most things, there's always something that's like, all right, if I give, you know, 100% effort, then I'll hopefully get 75% return, right? We, we, that, that's a good number. We, we feel good. No, God, there's going to be 100% return on every ounce of effort that you give for Christ, and that should make us want to work hard, right? We should want to work hard. We should want to toil because at the end of the day, God's working through everything that we do. He's, he's producing fruit through everything. You may not be able to see it, but he's producing fruit through everything that you're doing. Every ounce of effort. Nothing is useless. Nothing that you will be able to say at the end of this life, oh, when I spent an hour with that guy, it was a waste of time. Right? When I told that guy what he needed to hear, when I corrected him, when I taught him, it, it seemed like he was tuned out. No. He might seem like he's tuned out. It might seem like it's not getting through to him, but God's going to work in his perfect timing. It could work in the next week, in the next month, in the next year. It could work 10 years from now. God's not bound to time like we are. But every ounce of effort that you give will be used by God. Paul knew that, and that's what made him continue to go and exhaust himself. He put his life on the line because he's like, if I die, this, was, this, this is what God's plan was, right? right? To live as Christ, to die as gain. Like, I'm just going to do what he wants me to do because I see what he's doing. He's producing souls, right? He, he, he's, he's through my ministry, through me preaching the gospel, he has a Epaphras out here starting a church in Colossae, right? And I'm writing these letters while in prison, and they're getting to different churches, and, and they're being spurred on and motivated. Write this passage down, 1 Corinthians 15.10. 1 Corinthians 15.10. This is what Paul says about this, his work ethic and why he does it. 1 Corinthians 15.10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Right? The fact that he was even saved 
Because Paul will say, I was the chief sinner. I was the worst person, right? I was killing Christians, but by his grace, I was saved. I I am what I am. God's even going to use that experience that he had pre-Christ and use that for his glory and Paul's ministry, right? And so I am what I am. And he says, and his grace towards me was not in vain. Nothing is in vain towards God. His grace towards me was not in vain. And on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. I worked harder than any of them. He said, I, I, and he did. You can look at his ministry, and we weren't there, but we probably assume he, he worked harder than the, the average apostle, right? He had more persecution, right? He, had, uh, uh, he wrote more letters. Um, there was more churches started by Paul. He, he traveled more than, so he said, I worked harder than any of them. Is he boasting? No, he's not boasting, because here's what it is. At the end, he says, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me, that is with me. That's, that's all God's doing. Paul's saying, I'm just a vessel that, that's being willing and obedient. God's doing all of this work here. So I'm not boasting myself, but I, I, I did work harder than everyone else. But the only reason I worked harder than everyone else was because God had grace to save me, and then I knew it was only through him that I was producing these results. So I, I'm just, I'm just going to be a willing servant. I'm, I'm going to work. I'm going to work. I'm going to work harder than anybody else. Here's the thing you and I need to understand. We will never outwork God. We will never outwork God. You will never, never outwork God. And what I mean by that is you will never do something for God that he won't produce fruit from in some way, shape, or form in his perfect timing, in his way. Just because you don't see it doesn't mean God's not working in there. God promises us that he will work if we are faithful to proclaim him. We will never outwork God. We will never do something that will not be used by God. God created us, God saved us, and God's going to use your gifts that he's given you, your life experience that he's given you to bring other people close, in a closer relationship to him, to get other people to love him more. Right? He's uniquely designed you in your life, in your experiences, in everything that you have going on. We just have to be that willing soul to say, even in discipleship, I know that every meeting that I have, every text message that I send, every tough conversation that I have, all of those things, every encouragement that I give, all of that is going to help in some way, shape, or form, encourage people to love Jesus more. And I want to give more effort. This week, I was filling up my wife's uh, SUV, because uh, I have an electric car. I don't deal with that gas stuff anymore like that, like y'all. Uh, <laughs> but I'm filling up her, uh, her car, and I'm just sitting at the tank, and I'm watching the price. And I'm just like, I, see, this is why. And the gallons just keep going, right? The price just keep going. I'm like, stop, 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 stop. It doesn't stop. Um, but what, what dawned on me during that time is like no matter how much the gallons keep going and racking up until it gets to a full tank, every ounce of gas is going to be used, right? That's going to allow her to drive around uh, this week and hopefully next week and all of that stuff. It, it, it's going to be used until it gets back on empty. And guess what? We fill it up and it's going to be used. I don't know how it's used. I don't understand, you know, how the, underneath the hood works, how the gas gets to the engine and all that. I don't need to understand it. I trust that it's going to work, though. Because I've seen it time and time again. You fill up, then you drive for a while. You fill up, you drive. So it's going to be used. Everything that we give out, every ounce of effort is going to be used. That very same way. You don't need to understand it. You don't need to see it. You don't need to understand all the, out, the workings, the step one, step two, step two. You don't need to understand that. You just need to trust it's going to work. Because you can look back in your life. You can look back in Scripture and see that when God, when Jesus Christ is proclaimed faithfully, it, it, it works. It works. God builds his church through that. It works. If I were to take that illustration a little bit further about filling up the tank, sometimes um, 
my wife's car will be on E, and in the morning, I'll go take her car, and I'll go get it filled up, and I'll bring it back and sit it in the driveway, and I'm off to work. And so in her mind, she's thinking, uh, as she plans her day, I'm on E. I got to take these four kids, and I got to figure out how to wait to get to a gas before I make my plans for the day. But then she'll hop in her car and realize, I, I got a full tank. Like, sky's the limit now. I can drive wherever. I don't have to worry about stopping. I can go different places. Like, my plans have changed because I got a full tank. She didn't do anything to get that full tank. She woke up to that full tank. That's how God works in our life, right? Sometimes we think we're on E. It's like, I'm discouraged. I don't have any more to give. I've met with this brother 10 times and nothing is happening. But I want us to be reminded God's the one that's filling up our tank. Keep pressing forward. Keep investing. Keep discipling. Keep putting forth effort knowing God's going to give you the energy. You might feel tired. You might feel discouraged. But guess what? You pray about it. God will give you that energy to, to go forward that next day and continue to pursue his plan. Right? When you are out to pursue his plan and not searching for being light and being the favorite you know, discipler of, of all time, then he'll continue to fill your tank. You won't know it. The next day, you'll just have energy, right? You'll be ready to go, and you were exhausted the day before. You didn't know how you were going to do it, but God is the one that is providing the energy. It's like Paul told us, right? It's, it's his energy. His energy, and he's the one powerfully working through us. Philippians 4.13, you know that verse. Just jot that down. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, right? Paul was willing to, to be in jail. He was willing to, to have his life put on, uh, on the line. He was willing to be uh, shipwrecked, all of that stuff, because he knew God was going to give him the strength. It wasn't him. It was God's strength that was working through him. Here's the thing about understanding and trusting that that uh, God is going to work is your discipleship today towards somebody, you're discipling someone today, it may not come to fruition. There might be some, like, Lord willing, there's some growth there, but we need to trust that God's working on his timeline. Right? There's a thing called a, a ripple effect. Right? A ripple effect can happen within discipleship as well. You can be discipling someone today, and that person may not get it like you, you think they should get it, but then somebody else that's observing your discipleship is motivated by it, and God starts working over here, and you thought it was about this person that was in front of you, right? Or you can be, you can be talking to this person right here, and it's just like, you know, I'm, 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 I'm giving out the, the effort. We're talking about God's Word. We're studying it. We're memorizing. And, I mean, he's still not loving his wife like he should love his wife. He's still not loving his kids like he should love his kids. He's still not evangelizing like he should. He should still not. But... God could work a year from now to where it finally clicks for that person, and then they're off to the races based on the effort that you gave before. And so we need to remember that it's on God's timing, not our own. There was a, a personal trainer that I had at 24-Hour Fitness uh, when I was there. His name was Alex. And again, I, this was four, four years ago now, um, and Alex professed to be a Christian. And we used to have conversations uh, about Jesus, and he would always you know, say he, he was he was master trainer, super trainer. His schedule was booked. I mean, he was there every day, all day. And so he would say, I, you know, I want to get plugged into church. I want to do these things, but I, I just got so much work, right? I, I'm training. And I saw it. He was there always training people. Um, but we would always talk about, you got to get plugged in. You need to be in God's word. You, you need to be able to see that is far more important than the people that you're training, right? Um, so we would have these conversations, but his schedule was always filled. So obviously I left there and I got in touch with him recently about a year ago because we had, or not a year ago, a week ago, uh, because we have a mutual friend and I heard he had visited uh, this friend. And so I texted him to say, hey, I heard you stopped by and visited uh, our friend and just want to say, uh, check in and see how you're doing. And this, is, this was his response to me. Again, I haven't spoken to the guy in about four years. 
And he just said out of nowhere, hey, I just want to tell you what's going on in, in my life. I got plugged into a church. I teach Sunday school now once a month at my church. We're plugged into a life group. Life group. And he said this at the end, I'm living for the Lord, brother. I'm living for the Lord, brother. And so you look at it. I hadn't talked to the guy. It wasn't just me. Other guys were pouring into him and all that stuff. But here's something that I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to the guy. I'm, disciple, I'm trying to disciple the guy to get involved, get plugged in, read the word, get, love Jesus more. And don't love your job so much. Don't love the paycheck so much. Love Jesus more. And I'm just like, I don't, I don't, I don't, know. I don't know if it's ever going to work with this guy. And then four years down the line, I haven't had any communication with him. He says the same thing that we talked about. I'm living for the Lord, brother. I'm living for the Lord. Right? And so in God's timing was a good reminder that it, it, it's about God's plan. God is using us as vessels, but this is his plan at the end of the day. So even if your discipleship isn't like, wow, this person just, uh, you know, having this super sanctification, keep giving effort. Keep, keep teaching. Keep teaching. Keep warning. Keep investing in because every ounce of effort that you give will be used by God in his timing. And he's powerfully working, as Paul said. It's his energy, and he's powerfully working within me. It's all God is doing. We just need to be willing servants to say, no matter what, I'm going to put forth effort because I know God is going to use it. Nothing is going to come back void. If you come into my office, uh, one thing you'll see, or you may not see it, but um, the, the last passage that I read before every sermon is this. Is this Colossians 1, 28, 29. Before any sermon that I, I, I've preached, that is the last passage that I read. And because it's taped above my door. And so I look at that and I meditate on that for a second before, even if I walk over here and preach this message. Because it gets my mind back focused on what we're talking about here. Because guess what? There's some messages that I'm like, oh, man, I'm not going to get many likes on this one. Right? Right? I'm going to ruffle some feathers on this one. Right? Or there's messages where I'm like, man, I don't, I don't know if this is going to really, really connect. Right? I hope, I pray God gets it. Guys get it. But then I read that, and it, it gets my mind back off of, less off of me and more on Jesus. Because it tells me who the, what, 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 who the person we're talking about. Who am I talking about up here? I'm not talking about Pastor Kellen's best ideas or best opinions and all that stuff. It's Jesus I'm proclaiming. Jesus. Him I'm proclaiming. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone, what's the goal? Mature in Christ. So it reminds me who I'm talking about. It reminds me what the goal is to pr present people mature in Christ and then how I do it. I need to toil over this, right? I, I should be struggling over this. Why? Because I, I, I'm working out all the energy that I have. It's not about my energy. God's giving me the energy, and then he is the one that's powerfully working within me. So it's not about me, right? I, I'm, just a, I'm just a vessel. I'm just an instrument up here preaching the word of God. He's doing all the work here, and I need to be reminded of that every time I go out and preach, because there's a spiritual warfare that, that, that's outside this world that's just unimaginable, but I need to get my mind back on the goal, and the same goal and mindset that Paul had. Him we proclaim. I'm just talking about Jesus. You can like me. You can not like me. Whatever it is, I, I just want to talk about Jesus. I just want to present you more mature in Christ, that you can leave from MBS. You can leave from any, 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 any sermon that I give and say, I may not have liked the message because it was convicting or whatever else, but he was preaching Jesus. He was proclaiming Jesus. If you say that, praise God. Right? Praise God. That, that's, all, that's all I want. That's all I want. He's preaching Jesus because it's God that's given me the energy and he's working through me. And that's why I want to challenge you with two things. One, memorize this passage. I know we throw a lot of memory verses out at you and sometimes like, ah, oh, I can't remember. 
memorize this passage. Because if you get this one right, this will open up the door for everything else. Right? Because you'll start to realize it's not about your energy, your capacity, anything like that, your memory. God's going to do the work. Right? The Spirit's going to do the work. Memorize this passage. It reminds us who we're proclaiming. It reminds us what the goal is, why we're doing it at the end. We always need to have a goal. Any assignment that you, what's the goal? Why are we doing it? What's the, how can I get motivated? Because we're trying to prevent, present people mature in Christ, everyone mature in Christ. It reminds us who we're presenting, what's the goal, and then who's going to give us the energy? Who's going to give us the power? Who's going to give us the, the ability to go one step further, one hour or more, right? One more conversation. Him that works within us. Here's the other challenge. Write this down. Each one, reach one. Each one, reach one. As we conclude the series, I want to challenge every person in here, each one, each one of you, to reach one person. Reach one person. Each one of you, reach one person. Each one, reach, reach one. And because here's the thing, and I've said this all throughout in regards to discipleship. I can say this, we can preach it, you can acknowledge, you can head nod, head nod it all day long and say, yep, that's what Jesus commanded. This is how he's building his church. This is how he wants me to work for him to build his church. This is how he's going to use me. We can, not, we can head nod all day long. If you don't apply this, every one of you, then we've missed a mark. It becomes a decent sermon series, I guess, maybe, maybe not. It goes in the archive and we don't even think about it anymore. But if you and I commit to each one reach one, and then we continue that, God will work powerfully in this ministry, right? He will fill every, look at the open seats in this, in this room right now. And we're not even in the biggest room, right? We're going back over to 120 West in the fall because I, fill the room. And it, it, it's not about my preaching. It, it, it starts with you guys. It starts with me. It starts with you of taking discipleship seriously. Looking at yourself and examining yourself and saying, am I, do I have somebody right now that I'm learning from, that I'm teaching. And that should happen for the rest of your life. And if that happens, guess what? This, this room will be full of men, full of men that are, that are working towards loving Jesus more and more because of you. If you just let this go by the wayside and say, nah, whatever, I mean, 75% of the guys will do it, then we're not, we're not working at full capacity here. We're not trusting that God's given us the strength. So that's my challenge for you. Every one of you, reach, reach one person. And I just say one right now, because I know if you do that, then God's going to give you the encouragement to say, I, I got to go get more than one. Right? I got to keep this going for the rest of my life. This is not going to stop. But let's start here. Each one, reach one. You should all have somebody that you're learning from and that you're teaching from. And if I ask you, you should be able to tell me exactly who that is. Not like, ah, oh, my pot. Who is, who is that? We start in this ministry, and it affects our whole church. Because the way that the church moves is based on the men. And the way the men move is based on the men that are in men's Bible study that are studying God's word. Not trying to put down any other ministry, but you're the ones that are in men's Bible. You're, stu- you're the ones that are studying the Bible, right? And so if you're applying the Bible, you're going to influence other men to be in here and wanting to apply the Bible. And you're going to influence the whole church because they're going to see all of these strong godly men that just care about loving Jesus. Not worried about their job. They're not worried about their status. They're not worried about all this stuff because God will take care of that. They're worried about loving Jesus because that's what matters at the end of the day. We get that right. We change this entire church, continue to grow the church, right, because it starts right here. And so I challenge you that. Man, let's be excellent, excellent when it comes to discipleship. Always learning and teaching, learning and teaching. Authentic discipleship. And I'm telling you, we do that for the rest of our lives, then Jesus will continue to build his church through you. 
He will work mightily through you to build his church because you are willing and ready to do it. And I want that to start here. So let's take this seriously, even as we end this this series, uh, that we commit to doing this for the rest of our life, learning and teaching to get people to love Jesus more. Let's pray. God, thank you for this mission that you've given us to build your church of discipleship. And Lord, I just pray as I think about this entire series that we would have this top of mind. We wouldn't forget and start to think there's other ways that you want to build your church, but we know and we can be confident that it's through discipleship. And we can be confident that every ounce of effort that we give for Christ will not return void. You will use that for your glory in some way, shape, or form. So, Lord, I pray that we would all be motivated to do that. And I pray that we would take this challenge, each one reach one, that we would go out and be serious about discipleship. And if we're, we, we still have questions, that we would seek uh, clarification through small group leaders, through, through me, whomever it is. But we would be so sincere and serious about it that we, we would start today to make sure that we can look at ourselves and say, I'm all about discipleship, as Jesus commanded, as Jesus modeled. Lord, I pray that we would do well in that, knowing that there are obstacles that would come up, that will come up. There will be tests that, that will sometimes cause us to make us feel like we need to take a step back from it. But, Lord, I pray that we would excel still more. We would press through that for your glory and your honor because it's Jesus that we want to proclaim with everything that we do in our life. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.